Blog Talk Radio. Speak Network, a children's tale of learning new things, trying something different, and stretching out. Caitlin Coolidge is the author of Pawpaw is My Favorite Flavor. A journalist and editor, Caitlin is a former editor of the Avenue News. She works in broadcast television, and she joins us today from her home in Marietta, Ohio. Caitlin, welcome aboard. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me, Tori. I appreciate it. Well, I think we have to go back a couple of years. Uh, our first meeting was at a very interesting book signing in Maryland, and uh, we were in a very interesting bookshop and costume shop, and it was just one very intriguing place, if if you remember it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think it was like, yep, that was a pre-COVID time, I think winter of 2019. Um yes. Yeah, Washington Street Books in Habit of Grace, Maryland. Um, yeah, we sat together and, um, you know, just kind of just learned about each other. And it was really interesting. I think I, I, think I had my dog with me, too, if you remember that, my, <laughs> my, my miniature dachshund, Twiddle. Um, yeah, it was a great night. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting because as often is the case, uh, you know, we we had a few people coming in because it was a that was the night of a of the big holiday parade that they do down there. So we had people mm-hmm. come in and out for the parade and that sort of thing, which I thought was kind of cool. And as it often happens, you know, it's like we're sitting there and yes, we've got a few people coming in and we've got a few buyers and my boss showed up. And uh, he bought a book from one of his friends who was in the table, but not mine. I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, geez, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Well, he he knew that fellow quite well, so I I wasn't bothered by that at all, and it was cool. But um, no, and that was the thing. We all got to sit around and talk with each other. That was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask – we have to begin with the idea. How did the idea for this particular book and a children's book at that come about for you? Yeah, yeah. So the book, uh, Papa is my favorite flavor. Um, yeah. So I was a freshman at Ohio University, um, which is in Athens, Ohio, um, southeastern Ohio. And every year um, in that area, they have this big Papa festival. Never heard of Papa. Um, but my like plant biology professor taught us my first my freshman year about it, and it was just fascinating to me. It's a fruit that grows naturally in North America. It grows um, all along the Appalachian Trail, so from Georgia to Maine. And I went to this pawpaw festival, and it was just so much fun. Um, you know, they had pawpaw everything, like pawpaw barbecue sauce, pawpaw beer. 
um, Paw Paw, ice cream, all this stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just it kind of just stuck with me for a little bit. And one summer when I was, um, you know, back home and kind of just bored, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to reach out to a couple of local bookstores in Athens and see if they can connect me with a publishing agency because um, I just have this idea to write a kid's book. I I love um, – my favorite beat as a journalist is the education beat. I love going into schools, talking with kids and teachers. Um, I'm also a big foodie. I love food. Um, and so I kind of just had this goal of mine to to create a children's book and just kind of um, connected with a local publishing agency and uh, – outside of Athens and we kind of went from there and it was great and it took me about oh gosh probably about a whole school year to from start to finish to find an illustrator and everything like that um mm-hmm. but yeah it all started with the pawpaw fest in Athens that's where I kind of got interested about it about them now I had never I've probably seen them, but I had never actually – the only way I'd heard of Papa was through like a couple of children's songs and yep. a mention of it on a TV show once or twice. But I still didn't know what it was. Um, I have never tried it. What does it taste like? Yeah, that's like the very first question I get from like almost everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, they look like – they look kind of like a mango but smaller slightly bigger than avocado. Um, They have like a green, like outer um, layer. And then the inside is like this yellow, orangish custard texture. Um, Very similar to a mango, but a little more mushy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And they have these huge flat seeds all throughout the fruit. Um, And it tastes like if you combine a banana with a mango, that's like my best Mm -hmm. kind of description. Um, wow. they're, they're a little funky. I'm not going to lie. If, if you eat one that's not ripe, that it can taste kind of bitter. Um, and, and people have been known to get kind of dizzy from eating too many of them. They're totally safe and, you know, like mm. you won't get, you know, like violently ill from eating them. Um, but they, they do have a kind of a different taste to them. So I always recommend people to put them in things like I've made pawpaw bread before. Um, oh, wow. And it, it tastes, you, you can't, it's a very subtle flavor and it's not very overpowering if you do it that way. But, um, but yeah, you won't find them in grocery stores. Um, it's because they only grow for like, their, their time is like only good for like two weeks on their season. is like a two week period in the middle to end of September. Um, mm. And they go rotten super fast and their seeds <laughs> are so big and, they're really hard to take the seeds out of the fruit. If you ever have the chance to actually like find the pawpaw and slice it open and take the seeds out, it's pretty hard. So that's, that's a big reason why they're not really commercialized in, in, in a lot of grocery stores. Mm-hmm. I was doing a little research uh, in getting ready for this interview and a book yeah. popped up on Amazon with yours. A fellow named Michael Judd has written a book called For the Love of Papa. Did you know about that, or did you use that in, in any uh, of your research? Um, no, I know I know what book you're talking about. Um, but primarily my research came from just talking with the only pawpaw grower I know. 
His name is Chris Schmiel. He owns Integration Acres in Athens, Ohio. It's kind of like this homestead slash farm of his. And he grows a ton of pawpaw trees in his backyard. And I asked him about them um, and, you know, the history behind them. Because in the book, you know, it kind of goes into the history of the fruit and it, its historical significance in, in America. And then as well as, like, you know, fun facts, like, oh, zebra swallowtail butterflies um, love these fruit and they love to pollinate them. So you, chances are if you see pawpaws, you'll see zebra swallowtail butterflies around as well. So just some stuff like that, I he was able to inform me about, about them. And uh, I it just kind of, like, went from there when it came to writing the book. Very cool. Now, yeah. let's uh, talk about the beginning of this. Uh, Henry is our main character. Who is he? And, and did you base him on anyone in particular or any number of kids? Right. Um, you know, not a particular particular specific child, no. Um, for some reason, I just kind of had the idea of pairing a young child with an older adult and in this case, it's Henry's grandpa, who just goes by grandpa in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like pairing characters um, who have just that, like, different ages together. Um, you know, because as a, as a parent who's reading the, the book to the kid, you can kind of relate to the, that relationship. And mm-hmm. um, it kind of, you know, draws in um, different, um, you know, people from all ages. But um yeah, and you know, I um I also wanted specifically to um make the character, you know, African American in order to just like show the that that population does exist here in Appalachian Ohio. Um it might mm-hmm. be underrepresented or not um you know, people may not think that it's like a diverse um region of the of the country here and I mean it, it may not be, you know, it's not like a metropolis like New York City where you have people of so many different, you know, backgrounds and stories, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's these, these people do live here and they thrive here. And so I just wanted to make him, um, you know, to be that, um, that race so that, you know, it, those little kids going to the library or whatever, you know, can see, um, a, a kid who looks just like them living in the area where they live, um, and, you know, trying, trying something new. Um, so yeah, like I said, no, particular kids I guess and uh specifically um mm-hmm. but yeah I definitely wanted it to be a kid with an older adult yeah and and the thing too with with um, African-American children it's like here in Harrisburg PA where I live I live right up the street mm-hmm. from a coffee slash bookshop which is uh black owned they feature largely black authors and I was very interested to see a children's book section with with a number of of you know young black children as the main characters and some of them looked really cool and I thought and it it kind of hit me that the representation just was not there for some mm-hmm. and I I have never written a children's book and I've never really looked into it but I can only remember growing up as a child uh, very few uh, children's books represented 
others, such as Native Americans. Yeah. I remember I remember a, a story, I cannot recall who wrote it, but it was called Coyote Cry, and it was a really interesting story about Native Americans and the connection to the coyote and, and, and the tribal connection and this child's connection, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, mm-hmm. this is really different. And so it's kind of cool that, that I think that representation is finally getting a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, which is great. Mm-hmm. For sure. well, and I think we may want to talk about that more as we go. Um, you talk about pairing people up. The grandfather just comes off as, as like a cool grandpa, which I kind of liked. Yeah. Like who doesn't want a grandpa who takes him on adventures like that, right? Um, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I, I actually I dedicated the book to both of my grandpas, Um mm-hmm. While I was while I was writing the book, um, you know, both of my grandpas were actually in pretty pretty rough shape. They're, they've both now passed away, um, mm-hmm. but luckily, you know, I was able to publish my book when they were still living. Um, and oh, great. Um, yeah, so I I think that's like I I don't know. I have a really good relationship with my grandpas. Um, both just really big um, figures for me when I was a little kid. So. Um, I, I definitely wanted to have like a, that grandpa figure in the book for sure. Yeah, and I mean he comes off as the way you would hope one a, a grandfather would be kind of he's yeah. laid back but he's you know he's patient. He's patient with Henry and that kind of thing and that's really awesome to see. Yeah, yeah, patient and encourages him to to try the pawpaws because you know the entire book, you know, Henry's hesitant about the pawpaws and and then of course you know, at the end, he tries the homemade ice cream that they make together, um, and he and he likes it. Um, but you know, as a kid, you know, you're always being told to try, you know, new things, whether it be vegetables or fruit or whatever. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's a great thing for kids to kind of just like try something, um, you know, whether it be food or a different, you know, I don't know, sport or any kind of challenge. It's it's always kind of uh, great to encourage kids to kind of. To, to step outside of their comfort zones a little bit. And that's an interesting thing because it's like uh, growing up as a kid, I can remember I could do that for some things and not others. And it's like I guess every every kid's different, but I yeah. loved how Henry was curious. And at the same time, he was kind of like, I'm not too sure about this. And yet yeah. he was able to stretch out. He was able to, you know, he was sort of gently brought along by his grandfather to sort of stretch out and, and you know, face change and try change just a little bit. And it was it was really, it, you scripted it out really well. I mean, in a children's book, there's not a lot of words there, but you handled it really well. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely wanted to be a book that, um, you know, kids could read themselves for sure. So definitely, um, like a kindergarten through second grade reading level. Um, but I have read my book to kids from three years old, um, up until the middle school, um, age range. Um, and when I, when I talk to middle schoolers, when I do reading events for middle schoolers, I talk, I mean, I, of course I read them the book, but we talk more about like, um, the logistics behind becoming an author and what it's like to work with a publishing agency and, and pricing the book and marketing, um, and, and, and stuff like that. I try to make it, um, you know, a, a kind of more educational in that realm for them. Um, 
But, you know, when it comes to the little kids, I'll read them my book. I'll teach them the Paw Paw song, which probably, you know, the similar one that you probably know uh, and heard of. And I show them some Paw Paw seeds I've collected. And, you know, we do kind of like a, a question and answer, um, you know, session afterwards, too. Um, and that's like the best thing, I think, as, as being an author is, you know, doing events like what, you know, the kind of event that we did when we met and then, you know, talking with kids and reading the book to kids. It's That's the best part, I think, about being an author for sure. Mm. Tell me about some of these, like, like this sounds like a presentation that you can give. It's not just sitting, coming in and reading the book. Um, right. Uh, how did you come to that? Uh, how did you develop that? Right. Yeah. Well, um, my mom, my mom was a teacher, um, and I actually kind of I grew up with her being a teacher at the same school I went to as a kid, and um, I don't know. I've always had that get passion for um, like educators and education, and um, when it came to kind of like laying out my quote unquote lesson plan for them. Um, I kind of structured it very similarly, I guess, to, you know, just being a writer and being a, like a, a person with a creative mind, it kind of came just kind of easy to me. I, um, you know, decided I would, of course, just come in, introduce myself, read the book, um, and then after the book, I would, um, we would, I would teach them the song. So I would sing the song to them and, um, you know, ask them to, to join along the second time around the song. Um, and the littler kids, of course, love singing the song. And then I would show them my 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 seed, which kids always like something. You know, you gotta keep keep their interest. You know, after after a few minutes, you know, you can start losing their interest and they start wandering. So having something tangible for them to to touch and look at um, helps for sure. And mm-hmm. um, and then also, you know, finishing it with with the opportunity for them to speak. You know, I remember, you know, sitting at like, you know, carpet time or whatever as a little kid and being able, given the opportunity to ask questions or even to just comment on anything. You know, it 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 puts a spotlight on the kid and it helps them learn. It helps them remember and retain the information that they absorb, you know, allowing them to kind of um, reflect and ask questions based on, you know, the material that they were kind of given throughout the, throughout the little reading and lesson. Um, So, yeah. And yeah, I think just having my mother as a teacher and, and um, growing up just, uh, you know, kind of was just with that like creative mindset really helped me. um, Yeah. Put together this program that I still do. Um, mm-hmm. for school systems and libraries. And you must be getting, do you get a fair, I mean, with COVID, it probably is a very different thing right now, but hopefully it'll change. Um, what was the reaction you were getting from schools, like school administrators, teachers and stuff to say, listen, this is what I have and I want to do this and I'd like to get the book in the library and that kind of thing. How are they responding mm-hmm. to it? Um, well, my hometown in Canton, Ohio, um, you know, when I when I reached out to local teachers there, I mean, the responses were they came in quickly, and and it was all everyone was saying yes, come in and read my class. Still knew my mom very well from her time teaching there, um, mm-hmm. so I was able to go back to my own elementary school where I went to school, which was such a fun day. Just to, I mean, I spent gosh, several hours just 
going from room to room reading. Um, and then after I got into my hometown, um, you know, f uh, surrounding school systems reached out too. I just happened to have, you know, cousins who are principals, cousins who are teachers. I kind of reached out to the people that I knew who were already in that, in the game, in the education world, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, went from there. Um, and, you know, when I, when I moved to Maryland, I tried to do the same thing, but then, of course, COVID hit. Um, and that was just, oh, uh, kind of a obviously a bummer for so many people, especially people in the you know creative space and um, artists and stuff like that. Um, I ended up doing a couple of videos of me, you know, interactive videos of me reading and singing the song, the paw paw song, stuff like that. Uh, I was able to eventually do a couple outdoor events and um, reading events and stuff like that. Um, but now that I'm no longer in Maryland and COVID is like I don't know COVID, I. We're definitely not in lockdown mode anymore. I still have events planned. Uh, September is always going to be a busy month for me just because September is pawpaw season. Um, right. So this Friday I'm going to be selling books at a first Friday event in Marietta. And I have a reading event booked up at the local library here. So really, for you know, when I'm, I give advice for other authors is um, don't be afraid to reach out to as many um, you know, entities and, and businesses um, and organizations as you can. The worst they can say is, you know, no. Um, so you just kind of have to be um, an advocate for yourself. Uh, my publishing uh, publisher does a really good job, too, of, of keeping me up to date with any local um, fairs or events that are going around in southeast Ohio as well. So that helps us, mm -hmm. you know, a ton, too. Um, so yeah, cool. the events are coming up. It's not a ton, but they I do have a few lined up for this month, which is great. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your publisher. This is Monday Creek Publishing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell um, me about them. Yeah. So when yeah, it's not really a them. It's it's really just a her. It's it's oh. one amazing woman named Gina McKnight. She had a dream. She's also a writer herself, a poet. And she had a dream of just helping, you know, people become authors, helping them to achieve their, you know, dreams of becoming an author. And she worked out of a barn, a beautiful barn, horse barn, um, near Nelsonville, Ohio, um, near Monday Creek, actual Monday mm -hmm. Creek. And um, half of her barn is for the horses. Half of it is her actual office. It's, it's a beautiful setup. Wow. And she... Um, she, I got connected with her by just calling a local mom-and-pop bookshop in Athens, asking them if they knew of any local agencies. And I really shouldn't call her an agency, but, I mean, she is. She, she has a lot of clients, um, a lot of children's authors, for sure. Um, and she does a great job of, of marketing um, for us and um, you know, lining us up with events and stuff like that. And she helped me find an illustrator who is uh, Laura DeBroda. Um, she's a, a professor uh, at a local college down in southeast Ohio, Hawking College. Um, mm -hmm. And so she helped me with that whole aspect, helped me, helped me determine, you know, everything about the book, about how many pages, how big we wanted it to be, what, what, what kind of, like, page type we wanted, like, you know, glossy or... Um, 
uh, what, what, what kind of medium we wanted to use when it comes to like you know illustrations, pricing of the book, um, everything like that. Um, and I, we did that all while sitting in her barn um, with her horses, <laughs> with her horses there with us. And uh-huh. um, yeah, I speak very highly of her. She's a great, great woman. Um, really, just cool, cool um, thing that she's doing in Nelsonville. Tell us a little more about Laura and uh, her artist, st- her artistic style, and and uh, how it, how you two work together, and all, that sort of thing. Yeah. Laura was so easy to work with. Um, she is uh, our professor at Hawking College, like I said. She didn't really do a ton of, like, illustrations before, but I just happened to, you know, um, stumble upon her website, and I liked the stuff that she was doing. I asked her if she would be interested in, you know, just talking with me and learning more about what I wanted to do, and she had a little boy. She has a little boy. And um, she was all for doing a children's book because of, you know, just she, the idea of having a book she could read to her little boy that she made um, was just really mm-hmm. cool for her. So she, she actually was inspired by her own son um, when it came to drawing um, Henry and his smile and his, his features and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, she, and honestly, I, I gave her so much artistic freedom. I would tell her kind of, I would give her pictures of what pawpaw trees looked like um, and mm-hmm. stuff like that so she knew how to draw them. But, um, you know, I, I really gave her the, the the artistic freedom to kind of just do whatever she wanted to, and it was great. Well, it certainly worked out. Um, now, yeah. here's one thing. We were talking about um, the market, and they're just – I could be wrong about this. Um, there seems to be just an unending market and need for children's books. Um, we talked about the representation, but for you, how difficult or easy is it to get a children's book into a shop, into a library, that sort of thing, perhaps as compared mm-hmm. to you know, adult fiction that's, or, or nonfiction, that kind of thing? Right, yeah. Um libraries are typically I mean I've been able to get my book into circulation um, at pretty much all of the Southeast Ohio libraries um, pretty, I mean I think too my book is set in Athens Ohio so mm-hmm. having a book that's set in the area where you're you know trying to get your book into I think helps me um, and libraries are always doing things for kids you know children's programs um, you know, stuff like that, bookmobiles, um, different reading events. So I had a pretty easy time getting them into <laughs> the libraries down here. Um, however, the libraries in Maryland, I had a harder time um, doing it. I, I was in Maryland, goodness, for only about a year and a half or so. And majority of that was just during COVID lockdown. So I really had a hard time getting it. Um, into a lot of library stores, I was able to. You know, if you can find a great town like Havre Grace where we met, where, you know, there's a lot of mom-and-pop stores who are eager to help, you know, local local um, authors and, and, and artists, you know, that's, that's definitely the best way to go. I remember I walked into BAM, which is called, like, uh, Books a Million, mm. a big kind of, like, Borders-type bookstore, and, you know, they they just said no. I'm sorry. Like we don't, you know, we don't like I guess cater to like small, you know, small authors like this. And you know that's understandable. And 
So I, I, yeah. I didn't have success that route, um, which is fine. You know, I, I had a lot of success getting into some local um, bookstores in Bel Air, Maryland as well. Um, I'm, a, I'm in some local shops here in Southeast Ohio. So that's definitely the kind of niche that I went for, you know, just mm-hmm. um, locally owned um, small, small businesses. And I was pretty successful getting my book into those for sure. That puts us into that, that world of the small bookshop, the mom and pop shop. And mm-hmm. we have a, we have a few in this region where I live in, in the mid state of or central Pennsylvania, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, it seems we really do have to search those folks out and, and find them at times. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's hard sometimes, but it, I, that's part of what we end up doing as indies. It's we got to do the work and we got to do the legwork a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Driving, calling, cold calling, um, definitely. Um, and it can be kind of exhausting sometimes, but, you know, when you're able to get your book into a store it's, I, I think that moment makes it kind of all worth it um you know it makes it that much sweeter because it's sometimes difficult yeah it definitely is and again it's just sort of and of course there's the other thing too i i'm going through this myself is while i am on an independent press i find myself doing a lot of my own shameless self-promotion which i'm pretty mm-hmm. good at i think and um mm-hmm. It means going, you know, going out of state, going to the different places and that sort of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. it at times I've had people ask me the same sort of questions like, how do you do it? And it's like, uh, for me, one of the things with social media that I have done is I have experimented with them over the years. And I mean, everybody basically knows Facebook, but I also was old enough to remember when MySpace was the thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how things yeah. change. But it's um, the one thing I learned to do is I I try to find the social medias that work for me, that get me some response, or at least get me the contacts. And then from there, I have to sort of do my own sell job, I guess. But how does that work for you? Yeah, I definitely use um, social media a lot to to promote, um, you know, when I'm doing things um, or if I just want to kind of like, you know, put another plug out there that, hey, I still exist here in this world, and here's my book. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Um, you know, Facebook definitely, um, and Instagram too as well. I have my own personal blog that I'll put stories that I do, not just related to pop, you know, the pop pop book, but other stories that I do for various news outlets that I've worked for, you know, just to show people that, um, you know, I'm a writer, um, and mm-hmm. I'm constantly creating things. And, oh, by the way, I still have this book. It's a, Books are a living <laughs> – I think they're like a living, breathing thing, right? Like you create them, and, you know, that's not – it doesn't end once you get them sent to you. You know, it's kind of out there. It's, it's now, you know, people can read them, you know, years and years from now. Um, so it's a continuous – like a thing that you kind of have to nurture and um, social media definitely helps with that. And sometimes I think it can seem like it's social media, you know, you're not kind of, you know, uh, getting connected to a ton of people. Um, But I think for, for us as like creative people and for authors, it's just a good thing for us personally, just to kind of 
have like this personal um, scrapbook, if you will, of our work mm-hmm. and what we've done. And just to, just to prove to our own selves that like, look what I've done. Like regardless yep. of whatever, whatever anybody else says, I've created something and, and it's a real thing. Um, you know, these are, these are my words. These are, this is my creation, my idea, and it's out there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, I guess that's how I kind of uh, see, you know, social media a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to look at it, Caitlin, is to sort of, you sort of flipped it because it's like, I will sometimes look at what I've posted up and I kind of scratch my head and think, oh God, I've already said this. And yet at the same time, Uh I well remember fellow authors, fellow musicians, people that I've worked with in different areas they have to do the same thing. You have to be, yeah. you have to remind folks and you have to sort of not, not criticize yourself too much. There's a point when you can go overboard and be a pain, but at the same time, if you do it, you, you find that spot where it's like you do it right. You just feel like you mm-hmm. do it right. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, we can now go to you because I definitely want to ask about uh, our like-minded uh, foray into broadcasting and journalism and all that. Yeah. Um, tell us about you and where you began. And um, you talk about Ohio and that sort of thing. And your mom's yeah. a teacher. That's a foundation right there. But tell us about you. Tell us how did, how did you grow up? What was your bringing up like? Yeah. Well. Um... Yeah, I, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, which is like northeast area, um, yep. right next to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mom was a teacher. I grew up doing um, a lot of theater, a lot of dance. I did sports too, but um, I just loved um, performing and creating. And when I went to college, I wanted to kind of still cont- uh, maintain that performing and creating side of me. But mm-hmm. um, do dive more into a little bit more of writing. So that's what I decided to do at OU. I majored in journalism, um, did a lot of writing for um, local uh, campus newspapers, the Athens newspaper there. I then I got into radio. I did podcasts, and then I got into TV eventually. And I kind of just did it all. I was in, interested in, in writing on all p- different platforms, and I just loved um, connecting with the community, connecting with people, telling their stories. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm still in love with it, um, even though some days are exhausting. Um, right now, I'm a MMJ, which stands for Multimedia Journalist for a local TV station here in in uh, Parkersburg and Marietta. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm connecting with people every day, at least two stories a day for the TV station and for our website. And, um, yeah, like I said, it's just I love telling stories um, and just connecting with people and learning more about, the, you know, the towns that uh, that I live in and the people there. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great profession. It's definitely not like a sit down and, you know, at the desk type of desk job. You know, it's out in yeah. the community. Um, some days you don't know when you'll eat or when your day will actually end, <laughs> but um, it's rewarding um, because you just connect with other human beings all the time. <laughs> and right. That's great. Well, that was the thing is like, I mean, I am in journalism now. I was, I was always drawn to journalism, not even knowing as a kid what was going on there. And 
yeah. I started as a DJ, but I eventually moved into producing other people's shows and doing news and, and that sort of thing. And I recall being drawn to radio early as a child and television to a lesser degree. Was there mm-hmm. anything specific about any of the mediums that got you or was it the, the storytelling, the, the performance aspect for you? Yeah, um, well, I was a big fan, and I still am a big fan of PBS. I loved all the programs when I was little, um, mm-hmm. and I also just grew up with a father and a mother who um, just loved um, musical theater, and, um, you know, PBS kind of has that, like, there is that news side to PBS that also has that entertainment um, Yep you know, informative educational side to it that kind of brings in that performance and and arts side of performing. Um, And, you know, WOUB, which is the first um, TV station and and radio station I worked at, is a PBS affiliate. Mm -hmm. And um, I just love the vibe of of public broadcasting. Um, And, you know, I don't know if I knew it back when I was a kid exactly. That's what I wanted to do. But, you know, when I hit that high school age, reflecting back on what kind of um, got me excited and interested as a kid, it was definitely um, those programs um, on PBS, um, Zoom, uh, Reading yes. Rainbow. Um, yeah, all the, all that stuff, um, you know, it got me just super excited and you know, interested in, and, and like I said, my favorite beat is still the education beat. Um, you know, and trying to portray the news to that age group. Um, so yeah, and I think too for for us as as people in who are writers and journalists, our our interests are always changing and shifting. We we're we're in a profession that's just very malleable. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I think that's great. We can continue to recreate ourselves, recreate our brand, recreate our interests and, and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I, I have a question about your uh, – you have a bachelor's in journalism from Ohio, but you had a specialty yeah. in environmental studies. What brought you uh, to focus on that one? Mm, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I took an – environmental science class in high school that really piqued my interest. Um, I'm also, I don't know, I've always just been very, I think, in tuned and in, in, um, interested in environment and the environment. Um, I've been a, I was a vegetarian, you know, when I was a kid. I became a vegan when I was in, in college, um, specifically for just, I don't know, just for more to just try to be more sustainable. I've always just kind of had that um, that mindset, mm-hmm. and just I've always really cherished um, cherished nature and and um, you know re- our natural resources and stuff like that. So when I had to, we had to pick when, at college, we had to pick a specialization, and I'm very glad mm-hmm. I got to pick. I, I picked um, you know environmental studies. It allowed me to um, really really learn more about the area of Ohio that I was living in. I would go into the river, um, the Hawking River, next to our university and do um, field study and take samples of fish and rocks and, and stuff in the river. And then, you know, I'm in waders, these big waders, and I would get out, 
brush my hair, put on some <laughs> mascara, and then go sit and be an anchor <laughs> at our at our school's nightly newscast. And you know, it was definitely kind of um, two very you know different um, activities for sure. But it got me out of the classroom and into just mm-hmm. like you know the nature and really interesting people and you know like I said I'm a foodie that's why I was so interested in pawpaws and I learned more about just pawpaws and our local (laughs) um, agriculture scene so yeah yeah it's still a thing that's very interesting to me. Now you were former editor of a publication called the Avenue News and you had to correct me that you were the Mm -hmm. former editor tell me about that that experience being in that desk position. Right yeah that was my first well I was hired on as a as a reporter right after college at WOUB, and then my uh, husband, who was my fiance at the time, got a job out in, in Maryland. So we packed up and moved out there. And mm-hmm. um, at the Avenue News, yeah, that was my first you know big job outside of um, Athens, and um, I w- that paper covers six different towns on the east side of Baltimore. Um, primarily in Baltimore County and Maryland. And um, gosh, everything about that job was so much different than what I did in Athens. First off, Baltimore, obviously, it's a, it's, it's a you know, city scene, um, not rural whatsoever. Um, Athens is quite rural. Uh, the yep. challenges and, and stuff that um, Athens faced were not the same when it came to, you know, Baltimore County. Um, I was, and when COVID hit, I was the only one basically on staff. I had a part-time reporter and a part-time sports reporter. Um, and then I was the editor and I, you know, I would cover everything, any topic we would cover, um, in those six different towns. Um, and once a week, you know, the paper would come out. Um, and I just learned a ton. I learned a ton. I learned how to deal with people. I learned how to deal with people, you know, calling my phone constantly, asking random questions, yelling at me, uh, you know, asking me to asking me to do just this um, ridiculous, you know, just having ridiculous questions. But also just like I got to help a lot of people again. I got to just learn about the area. I knew nothing about Maryland. I knew nothing about Baltimore. I learned so much every single day um, about that area of the Chesapeake Bay and and um, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it, when COVID hit, it was challenging, though. I I won't lie. Um, I lost the sports reporter, my part-time reporter. So many things became virtual. Um, I had to work out of my apartment for several months. And mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big people person. I thrive when I'm around other people. Um, definitely more of an extrovert, for sure. And, you know, those months, thank goodness I had my little dog with me. <laughs> because, you know, it, it got I got kind of stir-crazy and, um, having to just do a lot of interviews over the phone um, and yep. and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was it was really interesting. I got to just yeah learn about a bunch of stuff I never thought I would, and very glad I had that opportunity um, to, to 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 be in that role right out of college. Yeah, and you you know you were talking about how we've had to sort of move up into another part of it. I've done a little of this for another publication, but multimedia, dealing with audiovisual text and all of that, 
And that must have been, was it an easy transition for you to go into that area? Because I remember having some difficulty with it. And, and for the radio news network, we don't do any of that. So it's kind of like, I know how to do it, but I don't. How easy was right. it for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, before I was the editor of Avenue, I was at MMJ for WUB. So right. I was trained on, on how to take a, you know, a video camera on, and shoot a story broadcast style, shoot stand-ups of me talking, um, you know, how to edit and write for TV and not for the paper. Because when you write mm-hmm. for TV, you're writing for the ears, right? Um, yep. And when, when it comes to paper, you can write long, nice long sentences, you know, really <laughs> use a, a nice wide range of vocabulary. But for TV, you got to make it a simple and, and um, you know, just short and sweet. Um, so I had to kind of yep. shift a little bit. But I did have that training that I had back in college and at WUB. So when I became an MMJ for for WTAP out of Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, you know, it didn't take me too long to kind of get back into the groove of that. Um, but, man, I mean, MMJs are – we are just uh, the, the 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 working horses of the, of the studio. I mean, we're out. Right every day getting at least two stories. That means several interviews, like four interviews, um, for, you know, two for each story. You come mm-hmm. back and you edit and you write everything and you code everything for uh, the, the broadcast. And then you turn around and you write the web story and you do a lot of the social media, um, you know, pub, uh, uh, marketing and stuff like that. So you're just constantly working. You're, you're on the move. Um, and, yeah, I definitely still had that training, you know, that locked in me from when I um, was in college, which was good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, it, in radio we're still doing the same thing. We do a lot of interviews. There's a lot of editing. Yeah. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of, you know, there's crunch time because you may be working on stories, but you've also got to get down to the studio and get the newscast yeah. ready and write that. And so it's not much different there. Um, I guess yeah. one last question I have about our mutual <laughs> interest in this. Um, one of the things that's happened here in Pennsylvania is that a number of publications, stations, networks, and groups are coming together because we're seeing local papers and newsrooms dry up. We're seeing collaborations. Mm-hmm. We're seeing sharing of information, sharing of resources. What is right. it like in your area, and what is our future in local journalism, do you think? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's definitely happening especially when it comes to um, papers, for sure. Um, I mean, even back when I was an editor for the Avenue News, I was sharing an office with a different editor for a different paper just to save on <laughs> um, paying for, you know, building space and stuff like that. Yep. Our, our pages got cut. COVID really, you know, I mean, you depend on those ads. For a newspaper, you depend on your ads to – keep the paper rolling and people just couldn't afford to pay and justify to pay for advertising. So our pages got cut. Um, But yeah, here in, here in, we call it the mid Ohio Valley, the MOV. um, There's not a ton of, of news outlets around here. I mean, we have, we have WOUB, which is in Athens, but Marietta, which is about 40 minutes East, more into the Ohio Valley area. It's just us, WTAP, and our 
one paper, which is the Parkersburg News and Sentinel. And um, both, both places are on just tight budgets. That's for sure. I can tell you that. We are all just balling on a budget. And, you know, our professors told us, um, you know, you go into this profession because you love it and you have a passion for it. You know, you're not going to make a ton of money. You're not going to make big bucks. Um, you know, it's definitely a more, it's definitely a rewarding profession in, in other, you know, terms. But um, I, I am pretty confident that WTAP will stay strong in this area. Um, it's a pretty, the population here is, tends to be a little bit older, and they, they do love their paper. They do love watching their, you know, nightly newscasts, you know, every day and every morning. We got loyal followers for sure. I do mm-hmm. see kind of, um, you know, possibly in uh, a lot of papers, perhaps like, okay, for example, the Columbus Dispatch, definitely a bigger metropolis area, Columbus. Um, I can see papers turning to more magazine style when it comes to mm-hmm. their stories and how they <clears> – <throat> put things on social media, like not only print magazine style, but also video social media magazine style where you have short little clippets of video with, you know, text underneath um, to kind of explain what's going on in a scene and, and within a story. I can see papers kind of shifting to be more multimedia friendly because, you know, that, uh, the upcoming generations. I don't know if they're going to be willing to pay for a subscription to have a paper delivered to their house. Um, podcasts, I mean, gosh, I don't know. I All I can say, for me, I'm a podcast junkie. I listen to podcasts every single day when I get ready for work, when I'm driving for work, when I'm commuting to different places. You know, I think podcasts are a great thing, something like this, where somebody – you can find whatever you're interested to, whatever news you want to consume. If you're tired of the mainstream, you know, basic news cycle, <laughs> you know, you can find something that interests you on a podcast, which, you know, there's so many and it's great. So I can, I see a, a strong, um, you know, future for podcast news style, you know, um, news like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, time will only tell, you know, <laughs> Exactly. You just, I think it depends on the area. Exactly. Well, what is next for you, the author, and 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 what else in your life? What what's on the horizon? Yeah. Well, gosh. Um, I'm well. In addition to being an author and a um, MJ, I recently got my real estate license. So I'm now I'm now a licensed realtor in the state of Ohio. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just because you know my days weren't crazy enough. Um, so I, I, you know, now I'm just learning that whole new profession. Um, I kind of just, I like the idea of just being able to do a bunch of different things and not being kind of tagged down to just one, you know, profession and staying in one little box. So right now I'm working with a great mentor in a brokerage, um, and I'm learning the ropes. I got, you know, a couple clients hoping to close on some things. So I'm kind of working on that and trying to just learn that whole new thing. It's definitely not like, you know, journalism or being a writer for sure. It's a a little different. Um, But I'm excited, you know, just to learn something new to kind of continue my education a little bit. 
Okay. Well, my last question for you, uh, what advice do you have for aspiring authors of any genre? Mm. Um, I think it goes back to perhaps the thing I talked about when it came to social media and how sometimes we just have to do those things to, to, to assure ourselves, you know, that we're doing a good job. And, you know, it, sometimes cold calling and marketing um, can be tough. You know, paying for books to be printed ahead of time can be really hard, especially if money is tight. Um, but you have to just reassure yourself that you got to work hard to get those books sold to, you know, make it worth it. Um, and to remember that, you know, no matter what anyone... I'm sorry, the last thing you said? Network regardless of what people think of your work, you know, you created it. It's, it's out there. It's yours. You know, and and no one can take that away from you. Um, no one can take away what you created. So, you know, kudos to any writer who is working on anything right now. Kudos to anyone who's just, you know, published anything. Um, it takes a lot of work. And, um, yeah, we should just, you know, take the time to pat ourselves on the back every once in a while. <laughs> All right. Well, Caitlin, it has been a pleasure to, to talk with you, and yeah. I wish you the best of luck, and maybe we'll see each other at an event one of these days. Yeah, it'd be great. I would love to come up to Harrisburg sometime. I've heard great things. Well, I, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so very much. Yep. Take care. My guest has been Caitlin Coolidge, author of Paw Paw is my favorite flavor. It's available on Monday Creek Publishing. And you've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show. I'm your host, Tori Gates, author of the Brown Posey releases A Moment in the Sun, Live from the Cafe, and Searching for Roy Buchanan. And the sequel to Searching, Call It Love, is coming very soon. SunburyPress.com, Amazon, Kindle, uh, Audible, and other fine retailers. Thank you for joining us. This is the BookSpeak Network. Thank you.